Thank you guys. Man, those two boys grew up fast. Goodness gracious. Today I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Today we continue our message series, Blessed. We've been talking about being blessed by God and being a blessing to others, that we've been blessed to be a blessing. This was the original creation story, was it not? God said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. Now be fruitful and multiply. God to Abram said, I am blessing you. I am making your name great that all of the families of the earth would be blessed in you. God's intent is to bless us, to make us a blessing. And that whole theme is laid out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. As we stand in the Lord's presence, I'll read the chapter for us. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. How about that for a blessing? We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth and by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Open, open your heart wide. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them. And walk among them. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord 
Almighty. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. We pray our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. God, in this room today, we acknowledge you as holy and we acknowledge you as the Father of Jesus Christ and our Father as well. We thank you, Lord, that in your divine kindness you have come to us to offer blessing. And Lord, we tremble at the burden and the weight and the glory of being called to be a blessing to others in this world. And we confess to you, Lord, that we're not up to that task on our own. We need your power to be mighty within us. We need to live our lives by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we come and we ask you to fill us afresh with your Spirit. Fill us that we might hear and see and know and follow. So, Lord, we pray that as we worship you by coming to your word, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that would receive your word like a seed in good soil. We pray, Lord, that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will, that you'd make our hands strong, that our work in this world would be as your own. And God, as we leave this place renewed today, as we are confronted with others in this earth, we pray that a life-giving word of hope and blessing would be found on our tongues. Lord, this is our prayer in the beautiful and the mighty name of Jesus. We pray in his name, saying together, Amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. We are blessed as God's people to bless others in this world. And God's blessing, friends, is personal and it's parental. It's personal and it's parental. We're God's children by his grace and we're called to follow as his children and as his children we're called to be blessing agents for him in this earth this chapter of scripture in second corinthians comes out of a controversy within the church they're in a tense place the corinthians and paul they've been going back and forth about some very hard things friends life is full of very hard things and some of you are here this morning having come directly from some very hard conversations, some very hard things, some tough stuff. The truth of God just bounces down in the midst of a dusty earth to bring forth life. That's just how God works. And in the midst of a very tense interchange, Paul's writing to these Christians in Corinth, the old Corinthians, he says. He writes to them about the life of God, about being blessed by God and being a blessing to others. And he talks to them about how they are the children of God. And then he talks to them about how as Christians, they are one another's kids as well. And that blessing is, is personal and it's parental. It's not cold and contractual. It's up close. It's near parental and personal. God blesses to make us a blessing. That's where he ends with the God blessing part. Chapter 6, verse 18, Paul speaks to the Corinthians the very words of God. And he says to them with biblical authority, I will be a father 
to you. I will be a father to you. Now, friends, this is, this is a controversial sentence for personal and, and sociological reasons. Some of you, it's a hard sentence because you immediately associate it with an earthly father that perhaps was absent or worse. And for some of you, it's just the idea that this sentence turns God into some type of dude in the clouds, that it makes God male. And friends, neither of these things are helpful when it comes to understanding what Paul and Jesus had in mind when they said that God is our Father. And God's not a dude in the clouds. God is other. God is spirited. Those who worship God worship God in spirit and in truth. And good parents, they take their cues from a good God, but the best of our parents comes up short. And so God's not just a projection of a good earthly parent. When Paul says the word of God to them, when Paul says, I will be a father to you, what he was saying to them is that God wants to bless them up close. That God wants to have a relationship with them that is personal and engaged and parental. The idea that God is personal even is something that has been cast out by many thoughtful people trying to save Christianity from the ambient culture. Paul Tillich, Paul Tillich would say God is the ground of all being. And for decades, that has been parroted in mainline churches all across the country. Oh, God is not personal. You, all these goofy evangelicals talking about a personal relationship with God. God is not a personal being. In 1967, Elton Trueblood, a Quaker philosopher, took that idea and kicked it right in the teeth. And this is what he said. The cliche, God is not a person, has been published and republished, not nearly by avowed atheists whom we might honor for their sincerity, but by supposed Christian leaders. What all of the representatives of this theological fad seem to miss is that if they are right, then Christ was wrong. Christ clearly addressed God as Father and as a person, especially in the haunting personal prayer I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. We need not subscribe to some linguistic conception of philosophy in order to see that a person is the only being that can be dressed reasonably as you, as thou. In teaching us to pray our Father, Jesus was preparing us to have an I, thou, me, and you relationship with the creator, savior, redeemer, sustainer of all the heavens and the earth. God said, I will be a father to you. Perhaps one of the most radical things about Jesus' teaching while he was on the earth was this notion that God was Abba God the good father. 
If you take one of those old King James Bibles with the red ink in it, you know those red letter Bibles? Did some of you have one in your lap? Hold it up high if you still got a red letter Bible in your lap. Oh, look at that. Oh, it looks great. A lot of you people. So if you take those red letter Bibles and you open to the Gospel of Luke, you'll find the first words on Jesus' lips, did I not have to be about my father's business? And if you just keep on reading to the end of that, from the cross... Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a quotation from Psalm 31. It was a psalm about God's guidance and leadership and providential care and grace where the psalmist prayed, into your hands, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. In Jesus' final breath on the cross, he could trust himself to a good, good father because he had likely prayed that psalm thousands of times during his life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, how different is, I trust you into your hands, I commit my spirit. How different from, from that is, is not my will but thine be on. He's just committed himself over and over and over and over again throughout his life to the loving care and providential power of a good father. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. I will be a father to you, God is saying to us, I can be trusted with your whole spirit, your soul, your life. I am the good blesser. What's so amazing is that Jesus taught his disciples, and by extension us, that we could call God Father too. In Luke eleven two, you have the prayer where Jesus taught them to pray. Our plural, Father who art in heaven. Oh, we call it the Lord's Prayer. My pastor was careful as, as a child growing up to say, oh, this isn't really the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, those priestly prayers in John. This is the model prayer. I never could get behind calling this the model prayer. It sounded like we were making balsa wood airplanes or something like that. I much prefer our Catholic sisters and brothers who just call this prayer the Our Father. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father. When he was teaching those disciples about worry and anxiety, he said, don't worry about the things that you need, about the stuff of life. He said, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. John Stott said that Jesus' antidote to anxiety were three words, your Father knows. God blesses us. I will be a father to you. Paul did something interesting there in quoting that. He goes back and he pulls it from the Old Testament story. He goes back and grabs it from 2 Samuel 7. Where God is dealing with David and he says, the kingdom will fall to a son of David. To your son. And God said to David, and I will be a father to him. And Paul picks up on that verse, that promise to the son of David, and he makes it plural. And the voice of God says, 
I will be a father to them and they will be my sons and my daughters. They'll be mine. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we have a beautiful image of what God means when God says, I'll be your father. And that's important to know, isn't it? God said, by being your father, this is part of the promise that I will dwell with them. No God from a distance, but a God up close. I remember hearing Nancy Griffith's version of Julie Gold's song from a distance when I was a kid, and I thought it was beautiful. From a distance, you know, it's a great song. Terrible theology. God just doesn't sit way up high over it all looking down and say, how beautiful are the greens and blues? God doesn't love us from a distance. He doesn't see us from a distance. God is drawn near. The most beautiful word in the Bible is Emmanuel. The transcendent, holy, other God tabernacled in the flesh and walked in the dirt and touched our leprous sores and made us whole. Died on a Roman tree to make us whole. I'll be with them. I'll dwell with them. The text said, I'll walk with them. I'll walk with them. To be with somebody is one thing. To be present is one thing. To be present and guiding and directing, walking is quite another. And God said, I'll walk with them. Meaning in this life, we don't walk alone as God's children. We're not abandoned to figure it out on the fly. But the promise of the Father is that I'll draw near as your creator, as your savior, as your sustainer. I will draw near and I will walk with you. Throughout the seasons of your life, throughout the challenges, throughout the open doors, throughout the closed doors and the cracked windows, I'll walk with you. In that great Psalm, Psalm 31, where Jesus took the words into your hands, I commit my spirit. There's this beautiful line in verse 3. For your name's sake, lead and guide me. Now that's a powerful prayer. For your name's sake, God, lead and guide me. That means our name is swept up into his name. We are part of his family So God, lead me, not just for my sake, but for the sake of your name. I'm a reflection of you in this earth. We are are bound for the sake of your name, Lord. Lead and guide me. Many of us need to put that down on an index card or send it as a text message to ourselves or an email to ourselves. You might want to just do that right now as a reminder to pray over and over and over this week. Lord, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Paul said, that's what God the Father will do. He'll lead and guide us. He said, I'll be their God and they will be my people. Now this is the great identity question. And that's what we all want to know, isn't it? Who am I? I believe before we can adequately answer the question, who am I? We have to square off with the question, whose am I? And God in his grace and the beauty of his revelation just steps in and says, In my kindness, in my mercy, 
I can make a claim over your life. I'm inviting you into my life. I'm coming to you, and I'm saying, I will be your God. You can be my people, and we can be swept up into the very life of God. He says, I want to make you sons and daughters. We're blessed, and it's a parental and a personal blessing from God. He'll walk with us. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. He's promised to give us our identity and our name. He's promised to guide us for the sake of his name. Now, the first crisis question before us today is this, and there'll be another one later very soon, but the first crisis question is this, do you have a personal relationship with God? I believe scripture calls us to answer that question. Because God wants to have a personal relationship with us. And in his mercy, he's made it, he's made it a possibility. Peter said of Christ that he was the just and he suffered for the unjust to bring us to God. Like the prodigal son returning as we come to God having heard the call of his grace, we come with the arms of Christ wrapped around us and an introduction. Do you have a personal relationship with God? He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his daughter and his son. If you answer yes to that question and you know that in the heart of hearts that it's true, then would you today just celebrate and thank God afresh for that? If you say, man, I got no clue what you're talking about, but man, just the possibility of it sounds beautiful. Would you in your heart of hearts make one just tiny, tiny nudge step today and say to somebody as you linger in this room after this service, Say to me or one of our pastors or somebody around you that was singing like they meant it. <laughs> Just say to them, hey, I, I, I'm not sure what he means by all that, but I need a conversation about that. God wants to bless you. And having blessed you, he wants you to live as a blessing. And just as God's blessing is parental and personal, so is the blessing that comes from God's people. It's parental and it's personal. Now, don't mistake me. It's not patronizing, but it is parental. Paul said in 6.13, he, he said that he uh, spoke to them as children. He spoke to them as children. Now, he wasn't sliding them. Some people think he was sliding them. Paul's whole leadership philosophy was based on parenting in the spirit of God. He would say crazy things. Like in Galatians 4.19, he said, My children whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. To the church in Galatia, he says, look, I want you to mature in Christ. I don't want you to be hoodwinked or led astray. And he said, and my burden for you is like the burden of a mother in labor. 
He says, as I'm leading you, as God is working in my life to bless you, it's like I'm giving birth. It's a mama's love. It's a passionate love. There's some new mamas in this room. I want to ask you to stand and testify about the power of labor. But some of you old mamas remember it very vividly. This is an image of the ministry of blessing in the earth. He said, I'm in travail. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, he says, I've come to you like a nursing mother. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 11, he said, I came to you as a father. Comforting, exhorting, challenging. Paul's whole image of Christian ministry, of, of being blessed by God to bless others, was an image of personal and parental love. Parents bless. And one of the powerful ministries of the church of Christ and the ministry of the gospel is we need to be for one another blessing parents. Receiving as sons and daughters of God the blessing that flows from the Father, we need to in turn offer blessing to one another. And 2 Corinthians 6 laid out the pillars of what that looks like in the earth. Take, for instance, this. It's marked by sacrifice. Verse 4. Listen, if you want to be a blessing to others in the name of Christ, it's going to cost you something. In North America, North American Christianity has become a consumer industry. Daryl Gooder talked about how we generate and consume religious goods and services. And that form of Christianity is rapidly dying, and I think the Spirit of God is probably applauding its demise. We're not called a cork-sniffing religion. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> We're called to the blessed life of God. And that means we got to have skin in the game one to another. The life of the blesser. The ministry of God's people is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of sincere love. Look at verse 6. He said, we came to you with sincere love. Now Paul and the Corinthians were in a good old-fashioned slobber knocker fight. But it was a family discussion. It was a family argument. And in his heart of hearts, he had sincere, abiding, passionate love for them and God wants to put a passionate burning love in your heart not just for him but to the woman and the man on your right and your left the people that you're called to share a common life in the church with it was characterized by truthful speech verse 7 grounded in the word you see, blessing and love is not just affirming whatever wild notion is in existence at the moment, but it's having a life that's rooted in the very truth of God. And it's being committed to being truth tellers one to another. Now, the way we go about being truthful to one another needs to be touched and seasoned by the kindness of God that's also spoken of in verse 6. People who say, I'm just brutally honest, generally speaking, they're more brutal than honest. There's a way to say things. You don't have to say everything at once. 
but the ministry of God's people that is characterized by the parental and personal blessing of the Lord is a ministry of truth, grounded and spoken. Seven and six, by the power of God and by the Holy Spirit. That means, friends, we're not just a bunch of self-appointed do-gooders and busybodies in each other's lives. Aren't you glad you can be free of that? But it does mean that God, through the grace of Pentecost, is at work in our hearts. And as God works in our lives, it inevitably will spill over into blessing into other people's lives. As up close and personal, iron sharpens iron, life on life, God's Spirit's at work in us to bring blessing. Look at verse 10. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. I'm not sure there's another line in this chapter of Scripture that more beautifully encapsulates what it means to be a minister of God and serving the blessing of God in this earth than being a person that is both sorrowful and yet rejoicing. Friends, we, we, we can't afford to be pessimists. We cannot afford nihilism. It's bankrupt. We can't give in to it. We cannot succumb to it. Nor can we be tempted by optimism. that just says, hey, it's all up and to the right. Looking good. Sunny. The lines are all falling in pleasant places. Zippity-doo-dah. That's not us either. Friends, what we are is we're called to something stronger than both, than both negativity and nihilism and a cheery optimism that is bankrupt of truth. We're called to be people of hope. When Bonhoeffer visited Abyssinian Baptist Church, his life was changed. And his experience in that church shaped him for the rest of his life and gave him steel and strength and, and grit in order to face the great challenge of the last century. And he wrote of his encounter with those Christians at Abyssinian Baptist. And he said, what they possess is a melancholy hope. Meaning they're, they're square-eyed and sober about the hard realities of life. And yet they sing of the resurrected Savior. And they shouted of his coming in glory. And if we're going to pass on the parental blessing of the Lord to others, both of those things have to be in our heart of hearts simultaneously. And we can never allow them to leave. And by God's grace, they will not. How about this one? Free speech. He said, I spoke to you freely. Now, that's not the same as telling the truth. This means that they used their words. This little apostolate, they used their words. They spoke the blessing of God. Even little bitty tiny children learn that it's a powerful motivator to withhold a blessing from someone else. If you withhold a blessing from, the ch from a child, they will kill themselves trying to trying to wrestle it from your hands. And Paul said, this is no way to motivate a people of God. And so his words of blessing in life are free, and so must ours be as well. 
Most of us don't know we're men until someone else tells we're men. Most of you don't know you're a woman until someone else tells you're a woman. I remember a moment of blessing where my grandfather, he was dying. I went to preach in, in Marion, Mississippi, not far from his house. And I swung by my granddaddy's house and I shook his hand. And in his chair, he looked me in the eyes. He said, I just shook the hand of a man. I didn't know it, but those were the last things he would ever say to me. Do you remember the abolitionist in the 19th century? I'm not, I'm not a man. Or, or the civil rights movement in the, in the 20th? I am a man. It takes someone to speak a word of blessing into your life. And God would have his church being the people that dispense that type of knowledge that you are the sons and the daughters of God. We are to speak freely. And lastly, and I know I'm over time, but I'm having fun. <laughs> All right, thank you. We're to live with an open heart. Paul said, I've come to you with an open heart. We've come to you with an open heart. And then he pled with them. Open your heart to us. He wanted them to grow from grace to grace. He wanted them to lay aside this tempting idolatry and to mature in their faith and to follow Jesus. He says, we've, we've, we've laid it bare. We've opened our hearts to you. Open your hearts to us. This, my friends, is the symbol of Christian leadership in this earth. This is the symbol. This is the symbol a parental and personal influence for the cause of Christ. This is the symbol of Christian maturity. He says, we've opened wide our hearts, opened an invitation, and also in that very vulnerable. Great power, great vulnerability. Miroslav Volf in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, said that there is a, a drama of embrace. He says the first scene, the first act is the opening of the arms. That's where we open our lives to another to offer ourselves to them, to offer our witness. The, the second movement, the second act is waiting. You can't, you can't force your influence for Christ on a life. You can't force somebody to do what you believe God and you want them to do. You can't force maturity. You can't force growth. You can't, you just got to open your life and wait. And so often people do come because God is at work in this earth. And as they do, the third act is the act of embrace. And friends, when we're holding someone, they're also holding us and embrace and there's great mutuality and there's life on life and there's togetherness and, and there's something strong and this is a symbol of the church as God would have the church we're holding each other I'm holding you and you're holding me and God's holding us and there's there we're, we enter into the very life of God like this we're, we're brought in and in the fourth movement as we open our arms up we don't absorb one another we're still individuals but we're individuals that have been transformed by an embrace. As we lead one another in this earth, 
as we bless having been blessed by the Heavenly Father, we do it with an open heart. And yes, those hearts bleed. So here's the second crisis question. Is there room in your heart for the people of God? Paul said, I have you in my heart. If the first crisis question is, is Christ at home in your heart? Have you personally received Jesus? The second question is, have you intentionally received his people into your heart? These really aren't two decisions. They're one in the economy of God's grace. And this is the way of his blessing in the earth. So let's stand and let's prepare to sing. And those two crisis questions are before us. The first one being, do you have a personal relationship with God? Perhaps you do celebrate it boldly by singing today. Perhaps you want to know about that or commit your way to him. As we sing, we invite you to come. That second question, though, it's getting kind of ticky. Is there room in your heart for God's people? We've been dispensing some lies in American Christianity that you can love Jesus and, and not love his church. It's just not a possibility. God has opened himself and he's called us to open ourselves. Would you come in? Whatever God does in your heart, would you do it for his glory and for your good as we sing together?